Hello friends and welcome to our podcast, Aura, A Different Path. My name is Alex and I will be your host. We have started this podcast as a way of answering questions we get on the regular about our shop, how we do things, why we do things and all things that I consider important. But we're happy to see where it goes and let it evolve over time. At Aura, our three main focuses are where our food comes from, how it is prepared, and how it makes us feel. So in other words, nourishment. I've spent years studying and researching and finding ways to put this into a shop format so that we can provide meals for people made from real food, prepared properly. We like to consider who has grown the food that we use, the process it's gone through to get to us, and then we spend all our time preparing these ingredients with love and thought to make it as nourishing as we possibly can in the environment that we are in. For each episode, we have sponsors. Only these aren't your usual sponsors. They're not giving us things, we're giving them thanks. We're acknowledging the greatness they bring, whether it be to my life, the shop's life, people's lives in general. I think it's important to practice gratitude and this is how we're choosing to do it here. Our sponsor this week is my special friend, Saskia. Why? Because she is a true inspiration. When I first met this lady, it was for an interview. So she dropped her resume off at Aura and I asked her to come in for a chat. And one of the first questions that I always ask when I'm interviewing people to work at Aura is, do you cook? I really liked Sass's response because she said no and that she really didn't like cooking, but she really wanted to work at Aura. So she was happy to learn how to cook if she needed to. Now, I actually don't know how many years ago this is, but I want to say maybe four, so four years ago. Um, but as of today, she is one of the best bakers that we've ever had at Aura. So the bestest part of this story is that it's only in the last year or so that she's mentioned that she's finally started to enjoy cooking. It might be, (laughs) it might be thanks to the sweet as wedding gift of a Thermomix that one of her family members gave her. But I think, I think that was just the icing on top. So even though she says she doesn't enjoy cooking and baking, her attention to detail and her level of care is what makes her so great at baking. So when a cookie is a shade too dark, she's a mess. She's a mess. When something is too sticky, she'll work at it until it appears to be similar to what it usually looks like. Um, And at home, she likes to make the majority of her food and does deal with certain dietary restrictions, but this, for the most part, makes her organized. She even makes tasty treats for her husband, so he doesn't buy snacks from gas stations, like a lot of tradies do. But watching how committed she's been to keeping herself feeling healthy and happy has been an incredibly enjoyable experience for me. And she's one of the reasons, or one of the people I think of, when I tell people to keep going, like to keep cooking, to keep trying, to fake it till you make it. Because when it comes to enjoying it, she she proves that sometimes it takes a bloody long time, but in the end, you'll get there. And the results are sweet because when you get good at it, it's great. It's music to my ears when she comes in and announces that this week she has made her best loaf of bread yet. My favorite moment was when she made a meal for a group of friends, like a real life dinner party made by Saskia. Such a proud moment for me because I really do remember her face when I asked her many, many years ago if she likes cooking. I love you, Sass. Thank you for being a light at Aura and pouring all of your love and care into our baked goods. You are a dream employee and someone I hope to call family forever special people really are the best and I have been so lucky to have so many special staff in my time at Aura most of them I would call family I've definitely had my fair share of like special people but let's focus on the special people 
and I have been very, very fortunate. So today we are talking about a mix of things, but they can, they can be put under the title of preparing food. So let's say that today we're talking a little bit about cooking, a little bit about preparing ingredients, a little bit about the way that we prepare the food at Aura. And of course, all of my opinions thrown in amongst all of these topics, as usual. Where shall we start? Okay, let's start at the beginning. Like a story. I love a good story. So many years ago, I learned about the benefits of soaking and sprouting my grains, nuts and seeds. And eventually, I took it one step further to make sure that my cakes and muffin mixes, etc. were soaked too. Now, I'm not at all sure if what I do is traditional or if it used to be practiced or if I made it up. I've not really ever heard of it from what I can remember. But it's, yeah, just a creation I came up with so that we could make properly prepared cakes, muffins, banana breads in a scalable manner fit for the shop. So I'll go more into detail later on this and I'll explain what we do exactly and how you can do this at home. But for now, I just want to speak a little to why I do this and why you should think about doing it too. So my first resource that went into detail on this for me and explained a whole lot of history was Nourishing Traditions. Now, I've already mentioned this book a lot, definitely one to purchase, a great way to learn how to cook, a great place to start or pick up wherever you happen to be on your cooking journey. But I'm actually going to read from the book right now, um, mixing things up because I guess this can be our quote, even though it's longer than a quote. But it's, um, it's just a page, but I loved all of it and I don't want to ruin it by making it up or making up my own version. So here goes. The process of germination not only produces vitamin C, but also changes the composition of grain and seeds in numerous beneficial ways. Sprouting increases vitamin B content, especially B2, B5 and B6. Carotene increases dramatically, sometimes eightfold. Even more important, sprouting neutralizes phytic acid, a substance present in the bran of all grains that inhibits absorption of calcium, magnesium, iron, copper, and zinc. Sprouting also neutralizes enzyme inhibitors present in all seeds. These inhibitors can neutralize our own precious enzymes in the digestive tract. Complex sugars responsible for intestinal gas are broken down during sprouting, and a portion of the starch in grain is transformed into sugar. Sprouting inactivates aflatoxins, potent carcinogens found in grains. Finally, numerous enzymes that help digestion are produced during the germination process. Sprouted grains should be a regular feature of the diet, and they can be used in numerous ways, in salads, sandwiches, vegetable dishes, as breakfast cereals, and as additions to breads and baked goods. However, we must warn against overconsumption of raw sprouted grains as raw sprouts contain irritating substances that keep animals from eating the tender shoots. These substances are neutralized in cooking. Sprouted grains should usually be eaten lightly steamed or added to soups and casseroles. So that for me was just a short and easy way of explaining why sprouting grains, nuts and seeds is beneficial. Now, I know there is a lot of disagreements when it comes to consuming grains. I feel like nuts and seeds are a more safe area. Um, These seem to be commonly consumed by most of the diets. I feel a little way too much, but I talked about that in the last episode, um, so I'll leave that there. But in the last, yeah, now in the last five to ten years, I'm not sure. Sometimes I lose track of time, but let's just roll with that. Five to 10 years, the word activated started being thrown around. And although I have come to mildly detest this word, I am all about soaking, aka activating my grains, nuts and seeds. Side note, we even used to soak our nuts for the nut butter. So we would soak buckets of cashews, almonds, and one time coconut, thanks to Moesha, 
um, and then we would dry them all in the dehydrator. But we started getting some constructive criticism, polite feedback that our nut butter no longer was good. So we took a vote amongst the staff and our customers that were consuming nut butter regularly, and we decided that our nut butter would no longer be made using soaked nuts, and that is what we call balance. Anyways, I do find this topic interesting because, again, I find that if people include these food items in their diet, which people do, so people that eat nuts and seeds usually eat a lot of nuts and seeds, and then people that eat kind of everything in the way of grains as well, it's usually a highly consumed food group. So this is why I like to talk about this topic because I feel if you're consuming a lot of these food groups, this is where problems can arise. So I'm not saying it's disastrous to eat something that hasn't been soaked or sprouted, but I'm kindly saying that if you consume a lot of these things, nuts, seeds, and grains, it's probably best to prepare as many of them as you can properly. So it's kind of the same as the eating out thing. If you eat, if you know where as much of your food comes from as possible, if you know how it's prepared, if you know what's in it, it's really no big deal to go out and eat a nice meal every now and then that's been prepared by someone you don't know because you're participating in a social event, for example. So going back to what soaking and sprouting does, if you're still not following, Um, put simply, all grains contain phytic acid. So that's in the, like the outer layer of their brand. That's why sometimes you'll find that people say it's better to eat white rice and white flour because the outer husk has been removed and that's where a lot of the phytic acid is. Same with oils and things like that. Um, so phytic acid is an organic acid. So Um, phosphorus is bound within the phytic acid and untreated phytic acid can combine with calcium, magnesium, copper, iron, uh, especially zinc. So in your intestinal tract and it will block their absorption. So even if you're eating all those great things, they're being blocked. And this is why a diet high in unfermented whole grains, unsoaked, unsprouted whole grains can lead, may lead to serious deficiencies and like bone loss. So I remember when I first learned this, which is a little while ago now, but I remember thinking to myself, man, all of those bullshit ads telling women to drink milk. Do you guys remember those? Like on TV, like many, many years ago, like all those ads telling women to drink milk so they avoid getting osteoporosis. But I never saw an ad saying, hey guys, don't forget to soak your oats before you go to bed. Or have you soaked your rice for dinner tonight? Do you know what I mean? It's interesting. It's very interesting because I feel like it's a really big part of the puzzle when it comes to cooking and preparing food that we're just not educated about. And I think it's important. So like I was saying, many people aren't aware of this practice. So many people... um, Sorry lost my train of thought there because I got a little bit carried away with my ad Um, but yeah because a lot of people aren't aware of this practice and don't practice it at home and definitely food establishments like cafes and restaurants don't usually practice either Um, but there are a lot of people that are deficient in some of the minerals that I listed earlier and it's just kind of odd to me because I don't this is not a newly discovered practice it's very 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 old and I think it's safe to say that these preparation techniques have been practiced for centuries and I have read that credit can go to the Chinese who learned to germinate legumes and would carry mung beans on their overseas trips on ships and they would sprout them and consume them um, in like quite large quantities to prevent themselves from getting scurvy so as well like um In the West, people would soak grains to make beer. Um, Then there's bulgur in the Middle East. This is made from like coarsely ground uh, sprouted wheat. So, yeah, it's 
been practice. And then at some point we've just sort of dismissed this important part of preparing our food. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. We wanted other people to do things for us. And then we wanted things fast. Convenience became the priority. And now some people are smashing the canned beans when they don't even know that they can buy dried beans for a quarter of the price, soak them, cook them, have fresh beans, overflowing with nutrition compared to the tin kind. It's a win-win. That is to soak, sprout, cook your own beans, grains, whatever, nuts, seeds, even though we're not really cooking nuts and seeds, but you can. I mean, all it takes is a little bit more time, but the nutrition that you gain and then the money that you save, if that's an interest for you, and the love that you can inject into your meal far outweighs an expensive tin of beans. And before you think expensive, they're not expensive, let me tell you, I have done experiments, extensive experiments, and I can't be precise on each bean and legume, but you'll get the gist. So let's take chickpeas as an example. A tin of chickpeas gives you about one and a quarter cups of cooked chickpeas. Not to be harsh, but semi-dead chickpeas. So let's say, mm, sorry, I shouldn't say that. Let's say less nourishing chickpeas. So chickpeas that have been so heavily treated, they're going to be fine and dandy, sitting on the shelf for a really long time. Fine to consume, not often or out of desperation, but better to not eat on the regular. That's all I'm saying. So instead, because we're about solutions, you could buy a bag of dried chickpeas. These are half the size when they're dry, so they're easy to store. They last forever on the shelf, not because they've had the shit cooked out of them, but because they're dry. So for Aura's falafel recipe, we soak four cups of chickpeas the day before preparation. And the next day, these four cups have become nine cups. Are you following? Are you seeing, seeing, seeing what I'm saying? So that tin of chickpeas is really half a cup of chickpeas that is expanded with water once cooked. And then let's not forget about the tin. You have to pay for the tin. You have to pay for the tin to be removed. And it's either on its way to landfill or maybe it's going to be recycled. But both take work. And did you know that falafels should only ever be made using soaked chickpeas? Never from the can, never cooked. I repeat, never from the can. You will never make a beautiful falafel with tinned chickpeas. Falafels are made with soaked chickpeas, not cooked chickpeas. Just wanted to add that in for all the people that have said to me, I can't get my falafels to taste like this. And it's because they're using waterlogged chickpeas. So other things to do with soaked chickpeas, just in case you decide to be adventurous and soak some chickpeas to maybe make falafels, you can actually do a whole lot of other things. So you can sprout these chickpeas by draining them and leaving them at room temperature. And then with those, you can make a sprouted hummus or a regular one if you want to cook your chickpeas. You can place them in a jar and fridge them and you can use them throughout the week. So you can throw some in a curry or a stew or a salad. You can roast them in an oven with some spices and make a tasty snack. The options are kind of endless and they taste so much better than a tin of chickpeas and they're better for you. As well, another hot tip, which I don't know much about, but I'm going to throw it in there anyway. If you're into that weird aquafaba stuff, you will generate heaps of that cooking your own chickpeas too. Another bonus. So to summarize, sprouting accomplishes a veritable pre-digestion of grains. So phytic acid, which blocks the absorption of calcium and magnesium, etc., is largely decomposed. So are certain sugars, which can cause intestinal gas, another good reason why you should prepare your grains. Part of the starch is transformed into sugars and numerous enzymes that aid digestion. So I'm only hearing good things. I'm only hearing bonuses. I'm only hearing why we should do this as much as possible. Now, some examples of what we soak and sprout at Aura, just because you can't really tell, like in a finished product, something could be from 
a tin, something couldn't be not from a tin by the time it's cooked with all the other ingredients, for example. So some some things that we are so sprout at Aura include um, our birch and muesli. So we've had two of those in the past. We've had one made from nuts and seeds and fruit and one made from oats and fruit, and both were soaked overnight in an acidic medium. Um, we did make a special one once using kombucha, but that got a little out of hand, a little over-fermenty, so I don't recommend that. Um, yeah, keep it simple with the acidic medium. So maybe some whey, some apple cider vinegar, some yogurt, those things, things that you've got already probably. So we soak all of our rice, all of our lentils, our chickpeas, our black beans, our mung beans, our quinoa, cashews. Um, all these things go into our um, like black bean and sweet potato mix for our tacos, our lentil falafels, our hummus, our kitchari dal. We also soak our roti batter. So for that, we simply mix the chickpea flour, which is also known as besan flour, with water and salt, and we let it rest for eight hours. And then after that, it goes in the fridge. So you can keep this mixture in the fridge for days and cook it as you need it, or you can fry up a bunch of rotis and keep those in the fridge instead. So, yeah, it kind of just depends on your time management and what suits you. I might put that in the um, I might put that recipe in the show notes because that's a really good um, basic recipe, a really nice way to get started to see how easy it is, and then it's a very versatile. Um, item like the chickpea roti is you can use it a lot of different ways Um, yeah and most people love them you can dress them up or down if you're not following what I'm talking about it's that little pancakey thing that comes on the side of the kitchari dal so a traditional roti which I actually got the pleasure of learning to make uh, when I was in India is made from mixing flour and water and then you have a dough and you knead that dough you um, make it into balls you roll it out and you you cook them like on a stove, but I kind of wanted a no dough situation for the shop. I wanted my flour to be soaked. And so I came up with a mix that I could cook as I needed. And that lasted a few days in the fridge and that didn't require my pizza dough making skills because that stuff can be so annoying to teach people way easier to say, get a third of a cup and pour it into a hot pan. So yeah, it's one of my favorites. Um, the day actually that Frankie, my nephew was told, um, that gluten was off the table for him temporarily, this became one of his staples. So when he would come into the shop, I would make him pizza using these as as the base. Um, and he taught me that when you're frying them up, you can also add blueberries or banana and make like for him, he was calling them blueberry pancakes. And and I thought that was so clever. I personally would probably add a little bit of sweetie in there, but um, he was eating them without sweetener and just with the fruit, and he was stoked. Um, They're also great as lunchbox fillers. They're really good for dippers, for hummus and guac. Um, My favorite, which I actually eat most mornings, is one that I like pile with like scrambled eggs, cottage cheese, and some kimchi. It's awesome, freaking awesome. Um, My point to this long-winded story is that... Yeah, the roti mix is a really good example of how you can make this practice of soaking things work in your favor. So if you can make, um, I mean, it helps you to make meal prep easier and more convenient, and it definitely serves you on the nutritional front. Uh, if you have our ebook, you will be familiar with the apple porridge pie, and that's another recipe that you can whip up in advance and then cook when you're ready. So again, we would make that whole mixture, soak it in a bucket, and then the next day we cook it for breakfast service. So this is created like most of our muffins and breads. So we mix everything together minus the fat. When I say fat, I mean like oil. So um, you're not including oil, like olive oil, um, olive oil, oil, coconut oil, butter, Um, and then your raising agents and your eggs so they're the things that you're leaving out and then you soak that mix so whatever's in there whether it's flour oats nuts seeds that goes off to soak overnight sorry i maybe i should have written this down it's hard for me to say in the right order and then in the morning that's when you add your fat your eggs and your raising agents and you're ready to bake so this could be the next morning but because it's in the fridge it could be that that afternoon could be within the next couple of days 
So if you don't get a chance to do what you plan to do, it's not like it's spoiled. You've got the option of choosing and making it at a later date. Um, while I'm saying this, that this might seem like extra work, but I completely disagree and it's hard to see where I'm coming from until you do it. But what it's doing is just creating a space in between and it actually makes the baking part much easier. And for me, this is the only way I can manage to cook everything by myself each day because the longest part is gathering all the ingredients and putting them in a bowl and that part's already done. So I'll get more into that, I think. Yeah, I think I'm going to go through a, like an actual example just to make it more understandable. Um, but I did also want to talk a little bit about uh, gluten-free and vegan baking because I get a lot of questions about this. So let's start with gluten-free. So in my entire cooking career, I have never found anything to taste that good if you simply sub out the gluten containing flour with one other ingredient so for example if it says two cups of plain flour if you sub that out with two cups of buckwheat flour or two cups of almonds it's just it's not good um this could just be me i have sampled a lot of things um and i feel confident in saying that it's just not good so a popular sub seems to be almonds and like I said I'm not going to go into detail on the overconsumption of nuts but mm, I don't really want a bread that tastes like almonds or a cake or a muffin unless it's an almond cake but the thing that I've found that works best is using a selection of ingredients now as I'm saying this I'm thinking well maybe if someone is a celiac they're not going to be fussy. So they're not going to care if their bread tastes like almonds. They just want a piece of bread. So I'm fortunate in that I don't have any intolerances and maybe that's why I find myself being fussy. But this is going to, like what I'm talking about, is going to hopefully help you create more tasty gluten-free baked goods. So just bear with me. So let's start with an example, which I'll use. um, I'll use a banana bread because that's probably one of our oldest, greatest, most populars. And it's actually my favorite. Um, So the banana bread is made on a dry base of pepitas, buckwheat, uh, rice, almond, and tapioca. So I really like mixing quite a few things together because anyone that doesn't like the taste of one of those things most likely will not notice that they're in there because there's such a small amount of each ingredient. Why do I do this? Uh, I like to mix things up. And as you've probably gathered, I'm not too keen on eating a whole lot of one thing at any one time. I like variety. The other reason is, yeah, this is the only way that I believe to make gluten-free baked goods taste good without adding any shit to them. So unfortunately, most baked goods that you get from places that are gluten-free are made with lots of refined sugar and or these terrible gluten-free flour mixes. Stay away. I, will I? I won't go on too much, but for those, yeah, for those that don't know, these are usually made from non-organic like potato, corn, rice, and soy flours. So for me, this combo screams GMO and three of the four of those ingredients should definitely be prepared properly, aka soaked, fermented. And it's safe to say they never are. So did you know that you can buy these mixes in bulk and just sub out cup for cup? Not cool, bro. It's not cool at all. And this is what people are doing. And what's really not cool is that so many people opt for a gluten-free diet thinking that they're making a healthier choice. And this is why I go on a little bit. I personally would smash a loaf of organic sourdough any day of the week over a weird loaf of gluten-free bread. Read the ingredients. Ew. I'm not saying this for all of them, but for a lot of them. A lot of them. I'm generalizing again. And do you know, there are all of these fancy pants companies coming up with their fancy logos and marketing and packaging. And most of them, not organic, 
all of them, definitely not prepared properly. Now, I know I am going on a little bit about the organic side of things here, but it's mostly because of the amount of glyphosate that is used in the production of these grains, in the growing of these grains. It's pretty intense. Um, I would love to talk more about glyphosate, but I'm not going to do that today because we're talking about baking and preparing ingredients. But I think it's very important to have a good understanding of what glyphosate is and where it is used and do your very best to avoid products that have been grown using glyphosate. So where was I? We were talking about that really gross flour stuff. Um, also the breads. I always like to say that I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong. So if there is a company making a bread with clean ingredients, even just clean ingredients, that would be great. Um, soaked, fermented, sprouted, whatever, also fantastic. I know there are a couple out there. I know Pete makes a sprouted loaf, but that's not, for me, that's not bread. So if people want a bread bread, like a, you know, it is very similar to bread, like the ones you get from the supermarkets in Harris Farm. They're the ones I'm referring to. They're nasty gross. But like I said, I'd love to be told that I'm wrong. Send them through. Yeah, once again, just to clarify, I'm not saying something is right or wrong. If you eat that every day, that's fine. You do you. I'm just trying to provide information so that you don't find yourself going out of your way, for example, deciding to be gluten-free and then find yourself with choices that don't really offer anything of any nutritional value. And that's the whole point, right, of making these so-called healthier decisions. So this is why sometimes I think it's best to move away from these labels, like I'm gluten-free, and just make decisions on the day-to-day for what serves you and your health. So I'm going to move on from that. I'm going to get, I'm going to, I'm going to talk more about vegan options for baking. So what can I say? If I'm ever going to toot my own horn, it's probably going to be about vegan baking. Um, although we don't offer a whole lot of options at Aura, because it wasn't something I was passionate about at all, I have been fortunate to have the opportunity of baking up a storm for our friends at Orchard Street. And not only do they request plant-based baked goods, they also must be gluten-free. And to be able to nail baked goods that are gluten-free and vegan, I think it's pretty clever. And it did take me a while. It took me a while. They stuck by me. They liked what I was giving them. But like I said, if you are restricted in what you're eating, maybe you're not as fussy. But for someone that can eat eggs, that can eat butter, that can eat gluten, I was eating some of these things and thinking, man, this is not enjoyable. Today, I will choose to eat these things over other things that aren't gluten-free and vegan because they're so fucking tasty. Anyway, on to techniques. So if you're needing to make vegan and gluten-free baked goods, I would take the advice from what I've just talked about previously and create like a gluten-free flour mix um, that's made from friendly ingredients, obviously. So like what I talked about with the banana bread. For vegan items, you must focus on the eggs or lack of eggs. And replace them with something wonderful. Firstly, same goes for the gluten-free rule. Don't sub out with just one thing. Because nothing, I repeat, nothing will ever replace the greatness of an egg. In nutrition and in performance when it comes to baking. But a mix of things can come close in the performance department. Most commonly amongst people, like the most common thing used seems to be um, those flax eggs or chia eggs. So personally, I like to use both flax and chia. So the same as what I was saying about the flour. For some reason, I just feel like mixing things makes things so much better. So when people say to mix whole flax and whole chia with water to make a flax egg this is hard for me to get my head around because that just reminds me of a little bowl of something that resembles like caviar like fish eggs and I'm like this isn't this isn't eggy this isn't eggy to me but if you blend them 
then mix them with water, it makes like a slurry that's much more similar to a beaten egg. And then add a vegetable. This is literally what I do. Or a fruit. You can make it a fruit, whatever floats your boat, whatever you need to like use, move, get rid of. But this helps to add the texture and bounciness of an egg and also the moisture if you're going for a gluten-free version. A quick note, just because I can't not say this, but don't ever, sorry, sometimes I'm so bossy, or please, please do not ever use egg replacer. There are some incredibly fucked up products coming out on the market that are trying to be plant-based products of non-plant-based products. That was a terrible way of explaining it. But there is honey, even the butter. Read the ingredients. Nobody wants to be consuming whipped industrial seed oils, aka vegetable oils, and adding them to their beautiful, if you've gone and made a beautiful gluten-free flour mix, or anything, any beautiful ingredient that you've purchased. You do not want to be adding that kind of shit chest into your body sorry i'm getting upset again back to the point don't use egg replacers always do your very best to use real food ingredients because it's just weird man it's just weird it's so weird okay got to refocus so i was talking about how we add a fruit or a vegetable to our egg mix made from a mixture of chia and flax Okay, so now I'm back to thinking about it. I think, yeah, I think what I'd like to say is it's, yeah, it's safe to say that a good rule is to always mix things up, even with fats. So for my vegan baked goods, I'll even use a mixture of coconut oil and olive oil. I think I do this mostly for flavor. It makes it um, likable for most people. So some people don't like the taste of coconut oil, but it is a really good option for baking and it does add sweetness. So mixing mixing things up where you can, I think is a really good rule. Um, one more hot tip, which is kind of related, kind of not related, related, is to write things down because that's the only way you'll like improve and perfect things. And whether you're trying to create an item that you want to consume on the daily or often, it's really fun, I find. Um, It just makes it more enjoyable to get better and better at it each time. So that was something that took me years and years to do. And shout out to my friend Tom Eadie who taught me the trick of using like a whiteboard marker on the stainless steel bench. So I don't imagine many people would have stainless steel benches at home, but even in your phone now, because there's all those like notes and things like that, or have a little notebook. I love notebooks. Notebooks are the best for all things, but whatever works for you, just write stuff down and then you can write little notes next to the recipe to alter, tweak, um, and eventually perfect so that you have an epic recipe. Um, no more hot tips. Where was I up to? Okay. So, um, yeah, you always want to make sure you know what you put in your recipe. Um, and then that way you can like critique your final outcome. So you always want to write things down. Um, and then I was going to give some hot tips, wasn't I? So if something's too dry, you want to add more eggs or pretend eggs, depending on what you're using or oil, but oftentimes even water can do the trick. So like for our cookies, we add a tablespoon of water because that helps them to spread. For our carrot cakes, we add um, a little bit of water because that just made them a little bit fluffier. So that was also a trial and error thing. So sometimes, it yeah, a dash of water can do the trick if it's just a, um, a dryness situation. For fluffiness, I find buttermilk is really great or making a buttermilk like substance can help. So if you don't, Uh, consume buttermilk or if you don't have buttermilk you can add a dash of lemon or apple cider vinegar to milk or a nut milk or a seed milk or you can use yogurt Um, but what makes things the most fluffy and what helps them to stay fluffy is soaking the mix so fermenting soaking that cake mix that muffin mix that makes things so fluffy I'm not sure if this is going to be or if this has been boring or helpful, but um, 
I really hope I really hope it's helping. I know I'm a bit all over the place, sorry, but it's just really hard for me to explain these things while I'm not doing them. If I was cooking at the same time, which is maybe why I should have a YouTube channel, um, it would be so much easier for me to explain. But what I want to do just for people that are still with me is, and I'll do it really fast, I'm going to quickly run through how we make the banana bread. So hopefully it makes a little bit more sense, the whole soaking situation. Because when it comes to the baking world, I really feel like it is a game changer and it is so easy to apply at home. Because some of the things I know that we do at the shop, it's like people like, oh, it's just really hard for me to do at home. But this, I think, is something that you can definitely do at home and definitely get your kids involved with as well because there isn't a stove involved, there isn't an oven involved. It's just mixing things up and that can be really, really fun and inclusive of the little baby children. So... We're making banana bread, guys. Let's go. I start with my flour mix. So I blend my whole seeds. So pepitas, buckwheat, almonds, they go in the thermi and blend until a flour consistency. Then I'll add in the tapioca and rice flour. Now, I did dabble with blending my rice, but I couldn't get it as smooth as the whole grain milling uh, company that I love. And the grittiness is not what I was looking for. I'm going for like uh, soft and fluffy. So I do use rice flour. Then I'll add in the spices and then this mix gets poured into a bowl. So that's my dry. Um, and yes, I did just say I use a Thermomix. I love a Thermomix. The Thermomix and I met many years ago and I probably probably should have become a rep because I absolutely love them. Um, I do recommend them, but I also think a high-speed blender can do the job, especially this job. So don't feel like you can't do this if you don't have a Thermomix. So the dry mix is in a bowl on the side. Back to the blender. Into the blender, I'll add the bananas, the sweetener, and the coconut yogurt. Then in batches, I add my dry mix until it's combined. Um, so it's all smooth. Then this mixture will go into a bucket for us. So if you need details, we use um, the two kilo peanut butter buckets because you want it covered. So if I was at home, I would leave this on the bench overnight. But because the kitchen is bloody hot... It's so hot, especially at the moment. I'll put this mixture into the fridge overnight. So if you're doing this for home use, I recommend leaving it on the bench. And if you don't use it in the morning, you can put the bucket in the fridge like we do at the shop. So this mixture I accidentally discovered lasts for about like, I was at 13 days. So I'm going to say two weeks. So I've not left one longer than that. And I probably should experiment and I will experiment for my cookbook. But I do know this from a situation at home and I found it sitting in the back of the fridge and she still cooked up a treat. So that made me, yeah, that made me quite happy. Anyway, stay focused. It's the next morning. So in the blender, I place my eggs, coconut oil and my raising agents, which is my baking powder and my bicarb. And I blend to combine all of that. Then I add half of my soaked mix blend to just combine and then I add the other half blend to just combine then I pour this into my baking tray and bake until golden golden toasty brown it is as easy as that hopefully this helped you to understand a bit better if you're interested in learning more about these kind of techniques I do recommend um, investing in nourishing traditions but the process in the morning is so much more efficient it's so much easier to do you will be so happy with the results and your body will be happier. Okay, moving on from that topic. Let's talk flavor. A lot of people tell me that they try really hard to create similar menu items at home to Aura, but they just don't taste the same. So I want to focus on three things. Firstly, time. Good things really do take time. Or should I say tasty things really do take time. Number two, don't skimp on ingredients. A mince patty, for example, should never have just mince in it. Get creative. Number three, it's hard for me to say this because it's so cheesy, but love, it's important. I believe that you will genuinely taste the difference in food when love is applied, added, intended. You choose the word. Time and ingredients can kind of go together, but also separately. 
For example, you can steam a piece of pumpkin or you can lovingly cut it into beautiful pieces, massage it with olive oil, sprinkle with salt and crack some fresh pepper on top. Slow and steady in the oven allows the sugars to caramelize and the skin to crisp up. People that don't eat pumpkin skin, what are you doing? So many people don't eat pumpkin skin. Pumpkin skin is tasty. Anyway, even for something like pumpkin pie, I'm going to roast that pumpkin. So I often overrule steps in like certain things because I'm just like, that's boring and I know how to make this taste better. So a lot of people, one time I was really nice and I put on a Thanksgiving dinner because Pod's American and I'd never made a pumpkin pie before in my life. So I looked up some recipes and like the majority of them were use canned pumpkin. And I was like, what the fuck is canned pumpkin? But then I discovered that's a thing in the States And then I found some recipes that said, if you don't have canned pumpkin, you can substitute for steamed pumpkin. And I was like, "Mm, steamed pumpkin for me tastes like water. It's quite boring. So I roasted that pumpkin because I love roasted pumpkin. And boy, oh boy, I think these people that are using canned pumpkins would have their minds blown if they shifted to roast pumpkin. But anyway, I'm I'm getting distracted. So in my life, There is not really room for steaming vegetables. I don't understand it. Maybe some green beans. Maybe. But I do, I understand that some people choose to avoid oils and fats, and maybe they need to. I don't know. But all of those fat, soluble vitamins and veggies that are just waiting to be coated and made shiny. How could you not? How could you not? They belong together. Okay, let's go back to the burger example. So there's a kilo of mince. Or however much mince you have. Beef, I suppose, is the obvious choice for an example. But you could do pork. You could do lamb. You could do chicken. Or you could do a mix. You could throw some livers in there. Now we're getting a bit crazy. Um, You could simply do salt and pepper. And that's fine. Because maybe you're serving this with a whole array of other ingredients. But why not throw some herbs and spices in there? Why not add some onion and garlic? What if you caramelize that onion first and then toast the spices? <gasps> Shivers. You could zest in some lemon, add some dried fruit. Are you getting my drift? You can make things simple or you can zhuzh them up. Here is an example of how I taught Scotty D what the word zhuzh means. Augie, her little bro, has eggs. What kind of eggs? Scotty calls them standard eggs. That's two eggs beaten with a fork with a sprinkle of salt and a dash of pepper. What does mum have? This is Scotty D's mum. Mum has zhuzhed eggs. This means we are going to roughly cut up a shallot and throw that in the pan with a bit of ghee. We're going to beat those two eggs with salt and pepper, but we're going to throw in some chili flakes. And then once cooked, we're going to add a little bit of kraut and throw some parsley and hemp seeds on top. And that is what zhuzhed eggs are. So you don't always need to be fancy. It's just really fun having the skills and the ingredients on hand to be fancy and zhuzh up stuff if that's what you're feeling like. There are also usual, usual, there are also usually really good benefits to adding things like salt and salt lol spices and shallots and things like that because all of these little ingredients do offer health benefits so if you can incorporate them where you can it's always wonderful i think that you can definitely use just about anything but i also feel that there is a lot of room for adding love in the zhuzh the zhuzhing so that is almost like a window to add more love in there because it's where creativity and thought comes into it. It's where inspiration can be applied. Are we going for a Mediterranean vibe or a Mexican vibe, a good old meat and three veg vibe? All can be zhuzhed because the more love, the better, always. Now, I know it's not simply this easy for anyone, but neither is surfing or learning how to use Instagram in my case. But if you're keen and you apply yourself, and you invest your time, a time will come where you start to notice it getting easier. Ideas start popping into your head, you start applying flavor combos to something that nobody else 
usually would, but who cares if it tastes amazing? I know it sucks when things don't work out and it can be a real kick in the balls when you've spent time and use ingredients and then it doesn't work out. Oh, oftentimes things can be saved. Sorry for that noise. I just had this memory. I think I'll share it with you because sometimes things can't be saved. But what do people say? They say, jump back on the horse, right? Definitely jump back on the horse because a life of enjoying cooking is way better than not enjoying cooking. And there's definitely one thing we can hopefully all agree on. And that is we all need to eat. Now I'm just going to go back to this little sidebar and tell you a really fast story because it was one of the first times I genuinely had all these like flashbacks of customers telling me like, it's just too hard or I don't have the time. I don't have the patience. And I'm always like, sort it out, mate, make the time, put in the effort. Like I'm pretty straightforward if you haven't guessed, but there was this one time recently, it was like the end of last year. And so oftentimes when our suppliers get new products, they'll either send them out to us to trial them or they'll um, like send a little email saying, hey, we've got this new product in stock. So I got an email from my friends, honest to goodness, who I love. I absolutely love this company. We have been using them since we opened. And although they have expanded a lot, they're still one of my favorites. Um, So we got a little email saying that they now make a dairy-free condensed milk. Now, usually this isn't something that would get me excited because I don't use a lot of condensed milk, but it just so happens that back in the pizza shop days, um, we made a lemon ring pie that was a recipe of my mum's and she got taught by her, um, I forget what the old fashioned name is, but it's like food technology when you did food technology at school, home something. Anyway, um, her teacher from her food tech classes taught her this trick Then she taught that to me and then I brought it into the pizza shop and taught all the staff how to do it to make the dessert. And that was like a cheater trick. And instead of like slow cooking your egg yolks over a pot of water with like cornstarch and lemon, like the traditional way for lemon meringue pie, it was you add lemon juice to condensed milk and you get similar, if not better, texturally speaking, I think better, a better result. So I was like, holy freaking smokes. I could make my banoffee pie base and then make my lemon meringue pie filling with this and I could create a gluten-free, dairy-free lemon meringue pie and light up so many people's lives. So I got to it. I ordered the condensed milk. It came. I was so excited. I tried it. It was great. And I just I just rolled and I made that recipe is exactly how I've made it a million times. And the timer went off and I pull out my tray and I see that the pie is really wobbly and I'm like, "Mm, that's not cool. So I do another five minutes and at this stage, the meringue is getting really, really dark. So for those that don't know, a lemon meringue pie is like a base, um, the lemon curd and then a meringue on top. So you need your uh, lemon curd to set before your meringue overcooks. And this isn't even a problem with my lemon meringue pie. It's never been a problem. So I'm starting to get nervous and I'm like, oh, my meringue is looking pretty dark and there is like this lemon curd has not set at all. And so I take a photo and I send it to Chef Kayla because we always discuss baked goods. And she's she writes back, oh, no, baby. And that obviously meant that she had no advice to give me. So I take the pie out of the oven because at this stage, the meringue, which is supposed to be a glossy white with like brown tips, is so fucking toasted. It is dark, dark brown. And I was going to have to make up a story as to why it was like that. But then there was no need because I pull this thing out of the oven. The lemon curd is like liquid and there is absolutely no saving. I was devastated. I was so sad. I was sad that I had not done a trial. I was sad that I had told so many people to come in and buy this lemon ring pie. And I was sad because I am not used to failing in the kitchen. And I chucked a proper tanny like I left I went to my friends at showbox to get a coffee because they always cheer me up I went to the beachfront and just stared at the ocean and I could not shake how upset I was about my pie and then all of a sudden I was like this is what all the customers have been talking to me about 
This is the feelings. This is what they feel. And then I understood. But you have to get back on the horse. Have I got back on that horse yet? No, I have not. What I am thinking of doing is making like a lime meringue pie because I have an excessive amount of limes. But you know what? I'm going to use condensed milk. And I'm going to tell people that I've used condensed milk. That stuff that tastes so good and is so bad for you. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. (laughs) It's just pretty fucking... Sorry. (laughs) It's just... Mate, it's like liquid sugar. Not the good kind. And it's in a tin. It's just like... Oh, it's gnarly. Anyway, I am going to make that pie one day for the shop because it has to... There were so many people that wanted that pie. And yes, I'll put in the ingredients that's condensed milk because every now and then you've got to have some condensed milk, especially when it makes you as happy as this lemon meringue pie used to make so many people so happy. Anyway, that really long story that was supposed to be short was there to tell you that I do understand the feelings of the failures in the kitchen. I do. And I understand that it hurts. And I understand that sometimes maybe you can't just keep going like I had to keep going in the kitchen that day, that you do have a family to feed or it's just easier to order something because the life has made things like that convenient. But because we all have to eat, I think it's really important skill to acquire and become good at. I only say to become good at it because it's much more enjoyable when you're good at it. And I just think this is something I'm very passionate about, as you can tell. Anyway, like I said, jump back on the horse. We all need to eat. And on top of that really, really sad story, which I tried to make upbeat at the end, I would like to say that some of our best creations have come from mistakes. So that is the upside. So did you know that the peanut butter brownie was actually a creation of a failed peanut butter cookie mix? That's right. It really was. And today that's our bestseller. It's actually what got us through COVID. So people were bulk buying peanut butter brownies. And I was so grateful because I was like, I don't think we'd get through this if we didn't have people that were so hectically addicted to peanut butter brownies. So it will take time. You will find techniques that you like, things that you don't. And remember, you don't always have to agree with what you read or what people tell you. You can make up your own way of doing things. People have told me, not to use metal utensils when fermenting. I do. Sometimes you really can throw everything in a bowl and mix it even though a recipe tells you to use three bowls and spend three times as long and make way more washing up. But when you understand the purpose of why you need to take the steps being asked, then you can make those choices and then you can change it up because something is never right for everyone. Remember? I'm going to give you an example of this. Now, it's not really to do with cooking. Well, actually, it is. It is to do with cooking. But I don't usually disagree. Sometimes I do, but I usually keep it to myself. But I don't usually disagree with teachers and mentors that I have. But I do have this issue with a topic that one of my Ayurvedic teachers teaches if that makes sense. So she lives in New York and she advises all people, all students, all patients to eat out over eating leftovers. And this is to do with freshness of the food and the life that it offers. So for me, coming from a background where I've worked in many cafes and restaurants, I would much prefer to choose eating my leftovers than food from a restaurant because I know how much pre-cooking is done and how this unfortunately defeats the purpose. Now, I'm not saying eating out at a restaurant is bad. I've explained that many times before. But I'm just saying if you were sick or if you were trying to do some kind of healing and so you were following a protocol, for example, um, and you were trying to get the most out of your food, this is what she advises. But, yeah, man, I just don't agree because I know that on weekends especially – bacon and sausages are pre-cooked, eggs are pre-poached, mushrooms and hash browns are pre-cooked. The majority of food is not being cooked to order and that's how some restaurants and cafes can churn out huge amounts of food in short periods of time. Now, I don't want to go on a rant, but I need to say a lot of franchises, even the healthy ones, vegetables are pre-cut. In some cases, all ingredients will be prepped in a location and then sent out to stores. Oftentimes, 
Unfriendly things will be used to keep ingredients from oxidizing and turning brown to stop them from deteriorating. And plastic is always used. And this is to tick the boxes of convenience and to save money and time. It's the same with freezing, another thing that is frowned upon in Ayurveda. But again, I will opt for my own frozen meals over takeout because I know what's in them. I know the ingredients, the love, the intention, and we all know that I love Ayurveda. But I do think that sometimes it's okay to disagree, as you've probably worked out by now. But my point is, make a way that works for you, that allows you to find joy in preparing food for yourself, your family, even your pet. I love making Bonnie Doon's dinner. What an extravaganza. She's such a lucky dog. But when Pod makes Bonnie Doon's dinner, lol, such a letdown, meat in a bowl. Oh, don't tell him I said that. But it is true. And remember, you don't always have to do something the way someone else does. So let's use liver as an example. Oftentimes people find out the benefits of liver, but they can't bring themselves to buy and prepare it themselves. So option one, a very common um, and easy way to consume pate, especially what we see at Aura. Oh my gosh, I just said pate. I meant liver is to buy pate. So we used to have that on the menu. You can still have it if you want, but it's not on the menu anymore because so many people come in to buy the little take home. Um, containers of it and that's because people just can't get their head around buying liver cleaning livers cooking livers and then making this extravaganza that they've read is so good for them um so yes we have that at aura i'm sure you can buy it elsewhere obviously read the ingredients um i know for sure that i can recommend star anise organics pate Um, hopefully there are others out there to choose from, but none that I know of because I personally really enjoy making pate and it's actually, um, a little bit of a passion of mine to help people discover that they can actually eat liver and pate for me is the easiest way to start. Um, but another way is to mix it into other meat dishes. So you almost dilute it in a sense. So the taste isn't so strong. Um, and then you can still make a meal for everyone. I just wouldn't tell people. I know that sounds really bad, but I wouldn't announce it to your partner. I wouldn't announce it to your kids. I wouldn't announce it to your friends. Um, I still remember the first time I fed my friend brains. It was so funny. I'm going to save that story for another day because I've gone over an hour. But um, there are also liver capsules. So these can be an investment, um, a good one, I think. But if you don't have extra money to do that, you could get crazy And do something like freezing little pieces of liver. And then you can either swallow those like a supplement, blend them into your smoothies. Um, Because when things are frozen, you can't taste them as much. But you can also chuck those into some meals and you won't even know they're there. The good thing about liver is that it is so nutrient dense, you don't need to eat a lot of it. You can even dry liver. So you can dehydrate or low oven it and then blend it into a powder. Sprinkle it onto your food, almost like a seasoning. As you can see, so many options. You just have to think outside the box. Thinking outside the box. Get creative. Enjoy it. Like I said, like most things, you'll enjoy anything much more if you can make it fun. And please, let's make cooking fun. Let's bring back the coolness of cooking for oneself. Let's make eating in as cool as eating out. Let's make breakfast parties cool. Picnics cool. Dinner parties cool. Actually, that's kind of how Pod and I became friends. He was my neighbor. We had a group of friends and they were all from different backgrounds and we decided to have dinner parties each week and each person would create a meal that was from their country or where they were brought up. So Pod's mum is Venezuelan and so that's what we started with. Man, they were good times. Shout out to Anne Girl for letting us use her house and her kitchen. Otherwise, there's also the good old potluck. AP used to always talk about these and that's where everyone brings a dish. So that's also a lot of fun and, um, and it's also uh, less pressure on one person. So you need a person to host, but then if everyone brings a dish, um, that one person doesn't have to make everything, host and clean up. So it's like a team effort. And then if none of this is working for you and none of my ideas are making you happy, all I have left to suggest is faking it till you make it. So pretend that you love cooking. 
that's all I've got. Cause then maybe one day you just will like our friend sass. <laughs> She's such a legend. Anyway, I think I've covered most of the questions there that people ask often when it comes to baking and cooking and, and, um, preparing ingredients properly. But like I always say, feel free to send through any questions. I'll do my best to answer them. And thank you again for giving your time to listen. As always, I appreciate you. Until next time, try cooking your favorite meal. Try making something different. And tell yourself, you've got this because cooking can be a joy. Just our sass. Bye.